Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This podcast contains graphic content and may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. True North True Crime is produced on the territories of the Coast Salish people. In Squamish, British Columbia, a 29-year-old father of two has been missing since 2019. He was last seen acting erratically after midnight on a cold November night. A delay in reporting him as a missing person put searchers and the authorities on the back foot in their attempts to locate him. Three years later, all leads have dried up, and the man has still not been found. Tonight, we present the disappearance of Daniel Rayock, and you are listening to True North True Crime. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to True North True Crime. Thanks for joining us. If you're new to our podcast, we are a Canadian podcast bringing attention to stories of people who have been murdered or have gone missing. We are a two-person team producing these episodes from start to finish. We do take case suggestions and prioritize ones that come directly from family members or close contacts. If you have a case for us, please feel free to send us an email at truenorthtruecrime at gmail.com. Keep in mind, we do get quite a few emails, so if we have not gotten back to your request, please follow up with another email to bring it back to our attention. Okay, let's get into tonight's episode. So tonight we are talking about the 2019 disappearance of 29-year-old Daniel Rayock. Daniel, or Danny as he is known, was last seen in Squamish, British Columbia in late November of 2019. Daniel is Squamish First Nations. At the time of his disappearance, he is described as a man who is 5 feet 9 inches tall and weighs about 150 pounds. He has brown hair and brown eyes. Anyone with information about Daniel is asked to contact Squamish RCMP, your local police, or Crime Stoppers. We put this episode together using publicly available news articles. We also spoke through email with Sonia, who was raised with Daniel and considers him to be a brother. Her family, the Pedersons, were Daniel's legal guardians starting from when he was just 10 years old. Daniel's story was also told on the Vanish podcast. We recommend you listen to that episode. As an additional content warning, this episode deals with mental health, addiction, drug use, and some violence. 
This case takes place in Squamish, British Columbia. Squamish is a town located to the north of Vancouver and is accessible by the Sea to Sky Highway. Most people know Squamish due to its proximity to the ski village of Whistler, British Columbia that sits in the coastal mountain range. The area has a population of around 20,000 people and is considered to be a safe place. Squamish is also a go-to place for outdoor enthusiasts, be it hiking, camping, rock climbing, or mountain biking. Squamish has it all. In recent years, there has been a massive push of people leaving Vancouver and moving to the area. It's important to note that Squamish is named after the Squamish Nation, whose traditional lands include the town of Squamish and expand from Howe Sound to English Bay and the Burrard Inlet. According to the Squamish Nation website, Squamish people's history spans many millennia of living and governing this territory. The oldest archaeological site in the territory of the Squamish people is 8,600 years old and located at Porto Cove in the House Sound. So Daniel Rayock was actually born in Thunder Bay, Ontario on March 16, 1990. His mother, April, was just 14 years old when she became pregnant with Daniel. April is Squamish First Nation. Daniel's father is originally from Ontario. Very few people know who he is, although Daniel may have met him uh, in his adult years. April's family encouraged her to come back to British Columbia so that she could raise Daniel in Squamish. So she made the trip back to British Columbia and settled into a life there as a young mother. Sonia's dad, Rob, is Daniel's uncle, and her family, the Pedersons, also lived in Squamish. Sonia remembers April coming to her family home with Daniel when he was just a small kid. She recalls that he was a sweet kid, he was happy, he was talkative, um, bubbly, and full of love. But she also remembers that the visits would often happen sometimes later at night and that they were infrequent. As a kid herself, she loved hanging out with Daniel and April, and she wished that they visited more. But unfortunately, April's life took a tragic turn. And as a result, Daniel spent many of his early years living with relatives or in foster care. In order to tell Daniel's story, it's important for us to know his mother April's story. After April returned from Thunder Bay, she began living in Squamish. But she would take trips to Vancouver, located about 65 kilometers south. More specifically, April was going to Vancouver's notorious downtown east side. Right. So as most of our listeners will know, that this is an area of Vancouver that has been plagued with issues related to addiction, mental health, poverty, generational trauma, and socioeconomic challenges. There are many single-room occupancy units that house thousands of people whose daily lives are mired with complex issues. Even in the 90s, the area stood in stark contrast to the immense wealth on display throughout the rest of the city. In the 90s, the area was being used as a hunting ground for serial killer Robert Picton, who preyed on women much like April, young, poor, and in active addiction. It is said that April began frequenting the downtown east side when she was just 17 years old, and it was around this time that a group of Vancouver police officers formed a small production company called The Odd Squad. The Odd Squad wanted to document life on the downtown east side through the use of recorded interviews with people living with addiction and substance misuse. They produced a documentary called Through the Blue Lens, which has been used as an educational tool. April was a participant in the documentary going under the pseudonym Shannon. When the Odd Squad first met April, she was about 17 years old, and she was new to the downtown east side and stated that she sometimes sold cannabis to buy cigarettes. 
The officers suggested that she needed to leave the downtown east side and get out while she could. Within six months, April's drug use had escalated and she was engaging in survival sex work. In one interview, April was asked where she saw herself in five years. And she said, quote, I hope to be in Squamish with my son Daniel. Over the years that she was on the downtown east side, the odd squad befriended her. They would take notes during their interactions with her so that they knew where she was, who she was with, and how she was doing. But then tragically, on Christmas Day 2000, that's December 25th, 2000, April's remains were found inside of a duffel bag beside a dumpster at 40 East Hastings, which was a social housing complex in the downtown east side. She was just 25 years old. The Odd Squad officers had taken notes on who she was living with, and this led the homicide investigators to a man named Ian Matheson Rowe. After a full investigation, Rowe confessed to murdering April in a violent rage. Several of the Odd Squad officers actually attended April's funeral with Constable Arsenal giving the eulogy. Years after April's murder, the Odd Squad produced a second documentary about April's life titled Tears for April. Using previous documentary footage, they were able to chronicle April's life on the downtown east side and her tragic death. Another funeral was held for April on the lands of the Squamish nation. It was here that Daniel's uncle Rob noticed that Daniel was not there. Daniel was about 10 years old at the time of his mother's death, so Rob became concerned when he was not there. He was informed that Daniel was in foster care, so Rob quickly jumped into his car to pick Daniel up. It should be noted here that the foster family that Daniel was with were incredibly supportive and remained in his life for many years. Sonia's dad, Rob, worked over the years to make sure that Daniel came to visit as much as possible. Daniel would go on to eventually spend weekends with Sonia and her family. We asked Sonia how Daniel eventually became a full-time member of the Pedersen family. She states, My parents worked on getting guardianship rights, and when that finally happened, Danny was officially part of our family and became a son to my parents and a brother to my brothers and me. We want to point out here that throughout his life as a child and adult, Daniel maintained a close and loving relationship with his many aunts, uncles, cousins, and nieces and nephews from his Squamish First Nations family. He remained an active and known person in that community. We asked Sonia what Daniel's life was like at home as a kid and what his interests were. So as a kid in the Pedersen home, Daniel was incredibly bright. He was musically gifted and athletic. He took up guitar shortly after becoming a part of the family, and he excelled at it. Sonia's parents had originally put him in piano lessons because all the other kids were playing piano, but he showed a much stronger interest in the guitar. And at a given moment, Sonia would hear him playing anything by Nirvana, Metallica, Megadeth, or Jimi Hendrix. She recalled that sometimes she would just hang out downstairs in the family home, listening to him play while she read or daydreamed. Daniel also played football on a team, and he was a very talented football player. Sonia recalled many weekends being spent down in North Vancouver or in the greater Vancouver area, either for Danny's football games or her brother's hockey games. She said that she remembers Daniel being incredibly happy during this time. When Daniel became a teenager, things began to shift a little bit. He became more defiant or argumentative. Uh, he was drinking uh, with, other, with other teens, and his family didn't always know where he was half the time. He was often brought home by a police officer, uh, usually actually the same one. Uh, this RCMP member, uh, he was very kind 
to Daniel. He he knew him from bringing him home from, you know, um, field parties or whatever. And he seemed to understand where Daniel was at. So he was always uh, quick to bring Daniel home rather than to incarcerate him or arrest him or something like that. But things began to progress. And eventually, um, these stops by the police and eventually turned into him being held overnight at the station while he sobered up. And Sonia's parents would then uh, head over there in the morning and pick him up from the detachment. Around this time, he also struggled with school and with attendance, not because he wasn't capable, but because he was just unable to focus as much as he needed to. He wasn't allowed to drop out of school, and as a result, he did manage to graduate on time, he attended prom, and eventually would go on to move out into a basement suite not far from the Pedersen family home. This is where the first odd event happened. Here is Sonia's recollection of that event. He called my mom at work one day and told her that people were after him. My mom went to his house as soon as she could, only to find that he had left in a hurry. He had jumped on a Greyhound bus heading east. He ended up getting kicked off in the middle of nowhere Manitoba after threatening harm to the bus driver. He ended up being arrested after breaking into a cabin. His grandfather, Bill, came out from Thunder Bay to Winnipeg and brought him home with him. Danny lived there for three years or so, where he worked construction jobs. Things started to fall apart there, too, so he did return to Squamish. So, after three years in Ontario, Daniel returned to Squamish, and things began to turn around for him. Maybe it was because he was maturing, or maybe it's because he became a father. Shortly after returning to Squamish, he met Kalela, and he had two beautiful children with her. He was working and became a really attentive father. All of his relatives were over the moon for him. His firstborn was just six months younger than Sonia's firstborn, so they were able to get together for things like family dinners, holidays, and birthday parties. Things were feeling normal and stable. But unfortunately, things took a bad turn, and Daniel was reduced to only supervised visits with his kids. We asked Sonia if she could elaborate on what was going on for Danny in the time leading up to his disappearance. So in the months before Daniel went missing, there were a few concerning incidents. So around Christmas of 2018, that's about a year before Daniel went missing, he attempted to break into the Pedersen's neighbor's garage with an axe. Um, When he wasn't successful in doing that, he actually broke a basement window, which terrified the neighbor's daughter. Daniel then ran next door to Rob's house, um, or the Pedersen house, And Rob woke up to the sound of banging, followed by a crash. He ran downstairs to the kitchen, and he found the back door had been splintered and broken in. And on the other side of the door was was Danny. And he was clearly not in his right mind. Concerned for Daniel's well-being, Rob called the RCMP, and Daniel was brought in. Then in another incident um, later on, like a few months or so later, Daniel called Rob to take him to the hospital for a surgery on his broken hand. Daniel told Rob that he had broken his hand punching a steel door, but it was later revealed that he had actually had his hand smashed with a hammer by someone who accused him of theft. Rob took Daniel to the hospital and Daniel entered the hospital, but then he phoned Rob a short period later saying that the surgery was over. But according to the hospital, Daniel never had the surgery. He apparently became paranoid around the doctors and the nurses and he left the hospital. We asked Sonia what the theory was uh, for the change in behavior and the family feels that Daniel was 
either suffering from periodic psychosis, which was possibly brought on by an undiagnosed mental health issue, or there may have been crystal meth use, and that may have spurred on the um, periods of psychosis. So during this time, Daniel's whole demeanor had changed, and he had become more paranoid and erratic. This behavior created frayed nerves and negatively impacted Sonia's relationship with Daniel. Sonia expanded on that for us. She states, Daniel still maintained contact with my parents after that, but it was at an arm's length. He would call my dad often and they would talk, but dad wouldn't let him come and stay as he couldn't be trusted. I was really angry with him at this point and I needed a serious cooling off period. He tried to reach out to me multiple times over the next several months, and I ignored him. Looking back now, I wish more than anything that I would have tried to help him instead. But I felt like I was at my limit and I just needed a break for a while. I'd always planned on opening back up to him and letting him back into my life, as he was my brother and I loved him unconditionally. I never got that chance. At this point in his life, Daniel had no fixed address and was couch serving with friends and relatives. So in 2019, as November turned into December, Rob Pedersen noticed that he hadn't heard from Daniel for about two weeks. Then on December 10th, 2019, Daniel's grandfather passed away. So Rob attempted to get in touch with Daniel to see if he wanted to attend the funeral in Thunder Bay, Ontario. But Rob, again, couldn't get a hold of Daniel. Rob took the trip to Ontario for the funeral, but remained concerned that he had not heard from Daniel. When Rob returned, he reached out to Daniel's probation officer, but unfortunately his regular PO was away, and the PO handling this file stated that due to confidentiality concerns, he could not disclose any information. However, if that probation officer had disclosed, he would have been able to tell Rob that Daniel had not been to his most recent check-in appointment. Rob reached out to the Squamish Nation to see if Daniel had been seen, and a report came back to Rob that Daniel had been seen at the Totem Hall picking up his December check. But unfortunately, this was a case of mistaken identity. Daniel did not pick up his Christmas check in December of 2019, and in fact, he hadn't picked up his November check either. Christmas of 2019 came and went, and still no one had heard from Daniel. After exhausting all avenues, Rob went to the RCMP. On January 7, 2020, Daniel Rayock was reported as a missing person. We are now going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. When we return, we will take a look at the timeline, the investigation, and whether Daniel's case has a connection to another missing person in the Squamish area. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Okay, we are back. So before the break, we outlined the life of Daniel Rayock leading up to his disappearance. Just to go over it, Daniel was reported missing on January 7th, 2020. However, as the investigation unfolded into his disappearance, it became clear that no one had seen Daniel since November 25th, 2019. We are now going to break down the timeline of his disappearance. This timeline has been pieced together using surveillance footage, police reports, as well as witness accounts. Before we get into the timeline, we need to say that there has been a lot of conflicting information and nailing down a completely accurate timeline has been, well, difficult. But we are going to present what we have learned. So on the morning of November 25th, 2019, the ranch owner at Chikai Ranch near Squamish called the RCMP to report a suspicious person. The man stated that he found a young man walking around the ranch with his t-shirt over his head this man was Daniel Rayock. The ranch owner approached Daniel to ask if he was okay. Daniel asked the ranch worker if he could use his phone to call Rob. He gave the ranch owner the phone number to call. The ranch owner obliged and Rob answered. The ranch owner stated that Daniel was there and that he wanted to speak with Rob. The ranch owner then handed the phone to Daniel so he could talk to Rob and uh, Daniel began speaking. He started laughing and he said, hey, Unc, how are you doing? Rob asked if Daniel was okay, to which Daniel responded that he was, quote, living in another timeline right now. Daniel then began laughing and then stated, I love you, Unc. Rob could hear the ranch owner in the background of the phone call saying that the RCMP had arrived and that he wanted his phone back. The RCMP took Daniel into the detachment around 10 a.m. He was then released around 5 p.m. Around 5 p.m., Daniel called Rob again. Rob said that Danny was in good spirits and just wanted to talk. Aside from the incident in the morning, it seemed like Daniel was okay. Then, around 6 p.m., Daniel was seen on surveillance at a nearby Tim Hortons. Then, at 6.45, he was seen on surveillance at the Walmart in Squamish. Shortly after 7 p.m., Daniel was seen on surveillance once again at the Tim Hortons. He then got a ride to the area near Squamish Valley Road where Daniel had been staying at a house in that community. This is where his belongings and his car were. It's unclear who gave Daniel this ride. It is also unclear what happened between 7 p.m. and 1 a.m. after Daniel returned to the area he was staying at. The last sighting of Daniel was made by one of his aunts. She reports being at her home near Squamish Valley Road and seeing Daniel run from her backyard and into the forest. 
This was around 1 a.m. The aunt, along with her husband, were concerned for Daniel and told him to put on a jacket as he was not dressed for a very cold late November night. They have reported that Daniel was acting erratically. He was making nonsensical statements, saying things like, I'm going to get married, and calling his aunt's dog by the wrong name. So Daniel just ran off into the woods behind his aunt's house. This house is located near Lewis Drive and Squamish Valley Road. The area behind Lewis Drive is wilderness. There are trees, rough terrain. There's also a river and a creek nearby. That night, the temperatures remained around zero degrees Celsius. There were no reports of snow or rain that night. And that's it. That's what we currently know. This same timeline was also provided to the Vanish podcast in June of 2022. Essentially, Daniel was taken into custody that morning after acting erratically. He was released around 5 p.m. Then he was seen around Squamish before returning to uh, the area near Chikai. Then his aunt saw him around 1 a.m. acting erratically. Then Daniel ran into the forest and off into the night. He has not been seen since the wee hours of the morning of November 26, 2019. Other people have come forward in Daniel's missing group on Facebook. Some of them report seeing him on the day he went missing. One person states that they saw him near Chikai Ranch at around 10 a.m. on November 25th. He was apparently on his knees and looked like he was praying. This would have been around the time that he was picked up by the RCMP. Another poster claims to have seen Daniel on a nearby bridge twice that night between 11 p.m. and 1 a.m. on November 25th. The following day, on November 26, 2019, an abandoned car was reported and towed from the area of Squamish Valley Road. This was a black 2004 Honda Civic, uh, and it was reported and towed around 2.20 p.m. This was Daniel Rayock's car. Reports about the car vary. Some statements say that it was abandoned near the bridge on Squamish Valley Road, while others state that it was near a residence. The state of the car is also confusing. Some people have said that the car was running with the door open and that Daniel's phone was in the car, while others' stories say that the car was not running and the doors were closed. Either way, the car did belong to Daniel, and it was towed on November 26, 2019. Many of Daniel's belongings were in the car, and it's unclear why the car was towed um, or who called to have it towed. So, unfortunately, searches for Daniel did not start until January of 2020 when he was reported missing. This put searchers and authorities about six weeks behind. The area around Squamish is heavily forested. There's mountains, rivers, creeks, and lakes, and the winter weather in Squamish brings snow, sleet, rain, and ice. There are large snowfalls followed by, at times, quick snow melts. There is also a lot of wild animal activity in this area. All of these factors, of course, made searching for Daniel quite difficult. An article in the Georgia Strait stated the following, Squamish RCMP has worked with the Squamish Nations, the Integrated First Nations Unit, the BC Missing Persons Center, and Squamish Search and Rescue in trying to determine Daniel's whereabouts. Police and Squamish Search and Rescue have conducted searches in the Squamish Valley and Paradise Valley areas. Squamish RCMP stated in a news release on January 15th that he was last seen at 1 a.m. on November 26th on the porch of a family member's property in the 6500 block of Squamish Valley Road before he walked off on a trail that led to Lewis Drive. 
Many people volunteered to help search for Daniel, but a recent snowfall hampered searches. Even with snowshoes, the search was very difficult. Searchers also used dogs, helicopters, and boats. The boats searched along the Squamish River, and this is a very fast-moving and unforgiving river. It eventually calms as it approaches House Sound. However, there was no sign of Daniel, and no clothing or belongings have ever been found. At the same time the searches were occurring, investigators with the RCMP canvassed the area, putting together a timeline of Daniel's last movements in November of 2019. Members of Daniel's Squamish Nation family organized a vigil in downtown Squamish at OCM Park. Many people attended, including members of the Odd Squad police unit who had known Daniel and his mother April for years. Deanna Lewis, Daniel's aunt and representative for the Squamish Nation, provided the following comment to the Georgia Strait. Our Lewis family, the Squamish Nation, and the community as a whole are extremely concerned as to the whereabouts of Daniel Rayock. It is extremely out of character for him to not check in with family, friends, or his children. A spiritual ceremony was also held in the area where Daniel was last seen. The following is from an article in the Squamish Reporter newspaper. Deanna Lewis says the spiritual ceremony would involve one or two people channeling the spirit of ancestors to access other realms to find out where Daniel is and what happened to him. The Lewis family has spearheaded the search efforts along with police and community members. Nearly 20 people will come for the ceremony, although only one or two people are trained to do the calling. Deanna Lewis states, There is a main spirit person and the rest will be singing and running in the area where Daniel was last seen. The spiritual ceremony is one that only certain people are trained to do. The ceremony was suggested by Linda George Isaac, a Squamish Nation elder, who has researched and witnessed similar ceremonies. Lewis says she has also participated in three such ceremonies, stating, It was very powerful, and it was very real, and they do speak to our ancestors. They can really see what is happening, and they can warn you. Lewis says it's difficult to talk to other family members about doing the ceremony. Quote, the ceremony can tell us if he is alive or not. If he is in the spirit world, they will find him and locate him, and that is the key thing. We want to find him wherever he is. According to Lewis, the ceremony is used in both joy and grief to brush off or cleanse people when they are going through a rough phase or for a positive start to a new major life event. It can also be used to find missing people by those gifted with the ability to channel the soul's connection to the spirit world. Squamish RCMP officers will attend the ceremony. Deanna states that, quote, the RCMP is totally in support and will follow any leads suggested by the ceremony. We are looking at all aspects now with just one goal of finding Daniel. She says the family feels that Daniel's disappearance is highly suspicious and that there is a possibility that he met with foul play. Quote, we have spent a lot of sleepless nights thinking about him and we want to know what happened and we want to bring Daniel home, she says. We love him very much and he is a very social, loving person and it's not like him to just take off and not be in contact with anyone. Deanna and members of the Lewis family, along with many others in the Squamish Nation, remain active in their search for Daniel, as well as advocating for him online. So according to most news reports, Daniel's disappearance has not been designated as foul play. We asked Sonia if she knew anything about the current investigation, and she stated that she believes that the RCMP are still actively engaged with the file. However, there have been no new updates. 
On social media, however, there was an interesting connection made between Daniel's disappearance and the disappearance of Marshall Iwasa. We featured Marshall's story in a 2020 episode of the podcast. I believe it is actually episode five of our podcast. And uh, Marshall was last seen in Lethbridge, Alberta on November 17th, 2019. His burnt out pickup truck was found on a remote forestry road outside of Squamish, British Columbia on November 23rd, 2019. And Marshall remains missing to this day. However, a man by the name of Michael reported what he saw to the RCMP. According to Michael, he saw Daniel Rayok, Marshall Awasa, and another man in a bar days before Daniel went missing and a few days before Marshall's truck was found. He states, During the last couple weeks of November 2019 in Squamish, at that Irish place, my watering hole, there were two guys. One seemed strange. I picked up bad vibes. The other looked like Marshall. They sat in the pickup, similar to Marshall's, with Alberta plates for a couple hours. Another local fellow, also missing from that time frame, Daniel Rayock, was seen with them. He has not been found either. That Irish place has since been closed, but I wonder if video footage is still available, specifically from the bank machine that was inside the bar. I remember a fellow who seemed distressed as he tried to use the machine. He never got any money and went back to sit in the pickup truck in the parking lot with the shady guy. Daniel left his guitar behind the bar with the bartender. Two days later, the RCMP came in and asked questions, as well as picked up his guitar. I only slightly knew Daniel because he's a local, but he did say to me, that guy is weird, I think he's going to kill us. I just kind of laughed it off as we sat outside having a cigarette. A couple days later, his car was found in Chikai, idling with the driver's door ajar. If the two young guys were killed, their bodies are probably between Chikai and Pemberton, where Marshall's truck was found burnt. That Irish place was situated in the Cedar Sky Hotel in Squamish, British Columbia. We asked Sonia if she knew of any connection between Daniel and Marshall. She stated, I know about as much as anyone else on social media about this. It was said by Michael Marlowe, a Squamish resident, multiple times that he saw Danny with Marshall at the Cork and Craft pub and that Danny referred to a guy who wanted to kill them. Do I find his story credible? I do, because he relays the story in the exact same way every time. Unfortunately, I cannot know for certain if it was definitely them he saw that day. I heard from a friend of the Owasa family that a Lethbridge police officer flew out to British Columbia to find out more about the connection, but I don't know any more beyond that. It has also been said that some of Danny's items were found at the site of Marshall's burnt-out truck, but again, I can't be certain. I wish I could make a connection between Danny and Marshall, but it's difficult. It's also tricky because Marshall's burnt-out truck was found before Danny was last seen, so they wouldn't have vanished at the same time. The disappearance of Daniel Rayock is a confusing one. Clearly, in the time leading up to him going missing, he had some difficulties going on, whether they be mental health or substance misuse or a combination of both. His behavior was at times erratic, those close to him struggled to pinpoint what the issue actually was. He had unexplained injuries. He had at times become confused and violent, which was out of character for him. He had even been picked up by the RCMP on the morning he disappeared after being found wandering on a nearby ranch. But this version of Daniel is not the one that family members knew. They knew him as a kind, smart man, a man who, yes, had some difficulties, 
but he still maintained contact with all of his extended family, his community, and his kids. But now he is missing, and it's not clear if this is a case of foul play or misadventure. Adding to all this, there was a delay between him going missing and people beginning to search for him. Critical hours and days were lost. We asked Sonia if she could speculate on what she thought may have happened. We asked if she thought it may be an accident, suicide, foul play, or perhaps he went willingly missing. Sonia does not believe that Daniel would go willingly missing. He had a large extended family who he was frequently in contact with. He would always connect with someone from his family at some point. But now it's been over three years and he has not reached out. Suicide is also difficult to assess for Sonia. It's hard to guess what's going on inside someone else's mind by judging how they were on the outside. But so far, there is no evidence of this being a case of death by suicide. We asked Sonia if she thought that perhaps Daniel's disappearance was the result of an accident. She states, quote, This is possible and is my leading theory, as well as the theory of many others. I feel that there was some sort of accident that killed him, whether it was at the hands of someone who just intended to rough him up, or he overdosed and someone panicked. We then asked for her theory of foul play, and she states, This ties in with the accident portion a little. So this is definitely also a possibility, but without a body or any evidence, it's impossible to know anything for sure. Before we finish this episode, we wanted to end with a post by Kalela, who is Daniel's ex-girlfriend and the mother of his two children. This was posted to the Daniel Rayock Missing Group on Facebook on Father's Day, 2020. Happy Father's Day, Daniel Lee Rayock. Your babies thought of you today. I showed them pictures of you, and we remembered you today. We don't know what happened or where you are, but I will always, always, always remind the kids how much they meant to you. We may have separated, but you will always be my family and the father of our children. Praying that you show up at this point seems so hopeless, but I will keep praying that you'll be found. We made some beautiful kids, Daniel, and thank you for that. You are a good dad, and you deserve to be celebrated. Happy Father's Day, Daniel. So it's clear that Daniel Rayock had a tough start to his life with the passing of his mom, April. But in the years after, he had a lot of love from his large extended family. His disappearance is confusing and incredibly tragic to those who love him. His absence continues to be felt in the community to this day. The many members of Daniel's family and community continue to seek for answers. We asked Sonia how our listeners can help, and she says that you have already helped by listening to this podcast. She encourages you to listen to Daniel's story on the Vanish podcast as well, and to share the podcasts on your social media. She also asks that if anyone knows anything at all, no matter how small or how unlikely they think it could be, please share by getting in touch with the Squamish RCMP or Crime Stoppers. Please help us with closure and justice for Danny. We also recommend that you join Daniel Rayock Missing Group on Facebook and please share his missing poster. Daniel Rayock was last seen around 1 a.m. on November 26, 2019. He was in the area of the 6500 block of Squamish Valley Road near Lewis Drive in Squamish, British Columbia. He is described as a First Nations man who is 5 foot 9 inches tall and weighed 150 pounds. He has brown hair and brown eyes. 
He was last seen wearing a blue, brown, and tan plaid button-up long-sleeve shirt, a blue, black, and beige button-up long-sleeve shirt, dark-colored suspenders, black baggy pants, and black shoes with white trim around the soles, with a black shoelace on the right foot and a white shoelace on the left foot. Anyone with information about Daniel is asked to contact Squamish RCMP at 604-892-6100 or your local police, or feel free to call Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477. We would like to thank Sonia for her help with this episode, and to all the family members who supported us doing this episode, thank you for your trust. Thank you all for joining us for this episode. We will be back soon with a new episode. So until then, stay safe, everyone. Stay safe. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.